0: Hello and welcome to Music Fools Crack the Beat. I'm Tom Shanahan and I'm here with my co-host, Jacob Mayer.
1: Hi, Tom, and welcome everyone. In this podcast, we research a piece of music from the perspective of a musician and a dancer. Today, we're going to talk about One O'Clock Jump by the Count Basie Orchestra.
0: Jacob, I am going to graciously invite you and our dearest listener to feast your ears and soul on this number.
1: Tom, that sounded like One O'Clock Jump, but I don't think that was Count Basie.
0: No, it wasn't. That was uh, The Little Chocolate Dandies in 1929 with a little number called Six or Seven Times, written by the great Fats Waller and Irving Mills.
1: Count Basie must be using the main theme from that because he definitely used that in One O'Clock Jump. Exactly, exactly. Basie did use
0: the main theme from that. So, Tom, what if we listen to Count Basie now? Yes, let's listen to Count Basie's One O'Clock Jump from 1937, featuring Lester Young.
1: That's really cool, Tom. I really like that riff. And... I did a version of this that I want to share with you and with everybody, but I didn't include that riff in my version. Ah,
0: bollocks. (laughs) I got like
1: every other riff from the piece in it. Well, almost every other riff. Okay, I'm really curious to hear hear what you think of it because it's a little bit out there.
0: Cool. So for for the listeners, I haven't heard this. This is my first time hearing this. And I'm going to play this now and I'm going to see what this sounds like. Think. that was a rifferific <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah i tried to get most riff-a-rific. of the main
0: riff-a-rific. riffs in there <laughs> that was really nice i really enjoyed that um um let's talk about riffs Will we just jump straight into riffs and talk about riffs
1: yeah I yeah yeah
0: let's let's begin let's begin our slow descent into madness and talk about riffs Jacob, what's a riff?
1: Okay, so um, the way I see it, a riff is a, it's a repeated melodic pattern, some kind of ostinato pattern in, a, mm-hmm. in terms of classical music, but it's a repeated mm-hmm. pattern that you hear over and over and over again that kind of supports mm-hmm. the other things that are happening in a piece, which might be a soloist, yeah. it might be a piece of melody, whatever else is
0: happening. Mm-hmm. And just because I didn't know what this word meant, so ostinato is a is a phrase or motif
1: hmm.
0: that persists repeatedly in the same voice. So it's usually in the same voice. i.e. it's the same instrument or uh, or whatnot. A little yeah.
1: bit like the bolero we just heard.
0: Exactly, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Which is uh, if you listen to the whole thing, we are we are circling the drain there. <laughs> <laughs> Seven circles <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: I've always had It's like there's some really wonderful things in that piece But I've always had trouble listening through the whole thing Really? Yeah It, it just I, becomes I, heavy You I know I listen... start to feel intense And I start to get you know like It pulls me in you know
0: I find uh, it's actually quite nice just you know In the dead of night you just sit down With a beer maybe or a nice cup of tea And you just you just kind of listen to that And just kind of zone out for a bit mm. I think he was going mad when he wrote that Mm -mm. i think i've i I read something that he was he was going a bit bonkers
1: oh yeah i don't i should know this from back in the day
0: my music history classes but anyway so riffs so i i think this song one o'clock jump is is based on riffs
1: yeah it's definitely based around the riffs I, i the structure is completely built off of that uh I totally agree, Tom. By the way, are, is there any like particular riff that really like grabs you? That,
0: as a dancer, I mean, the the one that I really noticed in that playthrough was your bum bum.
1: Oh, the trombone.
0: So you you kind of that ace one the trombone in one o'clock jump. Now we play a clip in a second, but that riff kind of really stood out to me. Uh, Maybe you could you could maybe demonstrate that for the audience what we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, the
1: trombone has a repeated figure. The the repeated figure that it kind of moves around a little bit, but basically just repeats there. Yeah, as a
0: dancer, you you could kind of feel that as a kind of an a movement to elongate. So if you want to do a slide or elongate, you're moving like one and go, you know, like a one and do something. It's yeah. Um,
1: and it comes in, like you were saying, eight one, it comes in before the one, like leads into the freight, like the next. Exactly. It's kind of exactly. building energy, right? Because it's pumping Absolutely. up to the next uh, riff.
0: What I found interesting as well is that like, to, to uh, so in the song, there's a bass solo. And after the bass solo, there's three really strong riffs that are like layered on top of each other, which I found interesting in the song. So you have the trombone riff and then you have a sax riff and a trumpet riff. So maybe we could do those there and we could layer them together and, and see what that sounds like.
1: OK, so that's uh, sort of what I was trying to do in my in my mm, recording. Mm. Let me just get the the sax riff with something like this.
2: Um,
0: Something like that, wasn't it?
1: There's a group of sax players doing that. And then there's... Uh... Trumpets then. Let's see. Where are the trumpets?
0: Yeah, they come in later.
1: Yeah. They come in on three. So you have kind of a one, two.
0: Nice. Nice. Another interesting point for dancers is that usually... like, So you're saying that came in on three.
1: Yeah, it comes in in the third yeah, beat there. And it's, yeah. like,
0: it's like the trombone was a one, and it, the one is it's kind of leading into the one, and then the trumpet hits that three. So it's kind of like those odd beats are usually hit a lot in jazz. And that's something that, you know, as dancers we can we can play with, where we can hit those notes and do something interesting. Because that's where we usually put our weight down. We usually put our weight down on those odd mm. beats. That's usually when we shift weight. So hmm. it's kind of following the music a little bit.
1: Are you saying, like, specifically, like on that eight you'd be shifting your weight like when you're leading into yeah,
0: one it's a preparation so like we we would shift the weight on seven and then we hmm. prepare an eight and then we shift the weight on one again that makes sense hmm. yeah depending yeah. on what oh, yeah, depending, makes depending yeah, on what yeah. rhythm we're doing but let's say if we're doing a basic uh shift weight rhythm or like basic uh half time where we, we just shift weight in one three one three we could kind of go one two three four Five, six, seven, eight, one. So we mm-hmm. cannot we really mm-hmm. shift the weights. That's a basic um, rhythmical pattern you can do where you just shift your weight on one and three. How about so we just played those three riffs. Now let's listen to the bassie band from 1937, the original recording of one o'clock jump. Let's just listen to those three riffs in that recording. So here we go. i love it's that just it's just beautiful you know i mean and that's the original recording and we'll get to this i think later on in in their next episode but there's some beautiful versions later on that just really do this even so much better it's absolutely wonderful that does it really well but there's other versions that are beautiful anyway yeah,
1: you know for me when i listened through that was the part of the piece that kind of really grabbed me and i felt like okay this mm. is the chorus this is where everything comes together that's mm, why that's mm. the part I was trying to capture in in yes. the version I did, um, but I mean that other yes. riff though, that goes from six or seven is definitely the iconic one. The mm-hmm. that's definitely the iconic like head riff. But I don't know just when the I one listen, you would, you
0: would think of yeah. I agree. What I thought was interesting was uh, so you you have what we just heard, and then the saxophones go on to the riff you just played. So the saxophones change, but the trumpets and the trombones stay the same. So here's that. I thought that was cool, the way the, the kind of the energy is pushing forward. And, but you kept those riffs and then the saxophones changed to the, the main head riff, as you called it.
1: Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was trying to get the other one. The other one is the...
0: Yeah. Mm.
2: So then it, the saxophones
0: change again to that riff, what you just played, at the end of the song. So that's the third recording. And, and what's interesting as well, which adds another layer on top. Is if you listen to Joe Jones
1: oh, we'll yeah. a second.
0: on the drums, he kicks on it. Or I think it's it. He does a little kick or at the same time as the trombone's coming in. So it's like bah! And it's it's just kind of has this lovely punch. So let's listen to that. Punch. Now. That's really good.
1: That's just cool. it's just um. Well, he's a great drummer. He really is. Like the more I get to know there's him,
0: there's a, a cool kind of clip which we talked about last time where he's uh he's doing a improvised solo on Caravan. You can find it on YouTube. We will link it below. It's uh he's, he's he's very funny. He's kind of like <laughs> he's kind of like you know oh, what am I going to do next with his with his facial expressions? Like he's doing something and he brings the energy down. And he starts playing like a clave rhythm. Right, plays some sort of weird rhythm, and then and then he kind of like he starts building the energy, and he's kind of looking around. He's like, "What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Oh, I got to do this!"
2: <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: right. He's he's so like such a character. It's mm. really fun to watch. Really fun to watch. I'm wondering. I'm so tempted to talk about the development of the rhythm section. Mm. I was reading so in the in this book that you generously got by Gunther Schiller
2: mm-hmm. the yeah. swing era
1: so I was reading in this yeah and they were talking about you know the development of the rhythm section mm. and they were talking specifically about like freeing up the percussionist to yeah. you know do these melodic patterns on the instrument mm. more melodic mm. type of improvisation mm. and I thought that was really just so interesting and I didn't uh, b- before I was had read about that I didn't really realize that Joe Jones was really a very central part of that. He, you know?
0: As far as I understand, he was known as Papa Joe. To, there was another guy called Joe Jones uh, to differentiate those two. So he's known as Papa Joe. I think he was, he was the older guy. And he is said to be the father of mo- modern drumming.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, he's doing stuff that I didn't even realize people were doing at that time. Yeah,
0: yeah this is 37 now we have to realize, you know, this is kind of... So I think before, so my understanding is this, the The drums were freed up a little bit by the double bass and the guitar. So we, we had Walter Page and double bass and we had Joe, uh, Freddie Green on the guitar and we we'll talk about Freddie Green on the second. But my understanding is that Joe Jones, he didn't play the bass drum as a timekeeping device, playing on every beat. What he did is he moved that up, I think, to the hi-hat. And he, I think he might have played cymbals as well or that moved to cymbals later on. But he, he started playing... More time keeping on the hi hat and kind of playing that la- that tss, 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 a one, two, a three, four on the hi hat or on the cymbals. And so, he had a this is my understanding of it, he had a lighter feel and it was kind of like on top of the other rhythm players. So, other rhythm players like uh Walter Page was down in the bass area and he and he was moving away from like the slap bass or from the tuba feeling of one, three, five, seven, eight, one. He was moving away from that, and he was one of the key innovators of that walking bass style of going one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. So Joe Jones didn't, in my estimation, have to play that bass drum because he would have been like clashing with Page.
1: Yeah, you would have... You would be... Sort of blocking out the bass. If you were uh, the, the double bass, if you're smashing the bass drum on exactly, each beat, exactly. Yeah, right? you're
0: kind of like you're doing the same thing twice. Where you want to layer things on top of each other, like this. This this rhythm section with Freddie Green, Joe Jones, Walter Page, and Count Basie or Bill Basie, not Bill Bailey, were known as the <laughs> <laughs> All American Rhythm Section. And I, for a long time, I was like, "What's so great about them?" But of their time, they were one of like the the better rhythm sections that really mesh together really well and and kind of like were innovators of their time and I think the reason for that the main reason is actually Freddie Green I've I've really started to appreciate his playing one of the interesting things about him is that he was with Basie for 50 years that's in and out of itself you know 50 years that's a lifetime he rarely played a solo he almost never played a solo he was basically. Yeah, that's that's crazy. mental. Imagine how bored up your mind you'd be if you just you're just playing chords. I mean, I I'm sure it's not, but you yeah. you want to feel you want to kind of I, I want a solo. Let me do something interesting rhythmically or melodically with the guitar. I don't know what do you think.
1: In band kind of ensemble music, we're not talking about classical music, but in this kind of ensemble band music, um, the piano and drums and uh those instruments were the main rhythm instruments yeah and that's because they were loud enough to kind of make those get those beats over the brass instruments
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right
1: Mm. but then as the double bass and the guitar developed you know the guitar you know became an instrument that could project more That could that eventually got became electrified Mm -hmm. And the techniques changed a bit and double bass mm. was able to play up higher on mm. the instrument mm. and they, they, it, its range increased mm. and suddenly when these instruments could you know free up the drums and the, the bass mm. those four rhythm instruments could suddenly start to become solo instruments
0: yeah 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 yeah, yeah. which is interesting because green didn't go into that area. He he stayed as the foundation. Yeah, the that's rock. He's like the he... rock, which is really cool. He's like the rock, which every, I think the whole band is built on. Green being that rock so that the drummer could go in a, in a different direction, play lighter. The double bass could play down here. a freed up bass. The double bass freed up bassy's left hand from playing that stride piano, going down into the bass and up into the tenor, which is where Green was in the kind of the tenor area uh, on his on his guitar. Which was interesting as well. You were talking about electrification. Uh, or amplification, rather. Um, but Green only, I think he played an acoustic. I don't think he actually, I don't think he was.
1: Yeah, I don't, he was, he, he was cutting through without, like, a yeah, electric which is, guitar. Which is but he cool. was using, um, he was using an archtop. Oh, what's that? So an archtop is like a, it's, an archtop is a certain kind of guitar mm. that's built to project through oh. um, brass instruments and, uh, uh you know, you know how a a violin mm-hmm. and a cello, they have these arched bodies. Okay. Meaning in you know, if you have a a wooden guitar, mm. often the guitar, you know, you the face of the guitar is flat. Ah. Uh, uh-huh. But oh. um the face, you know, the face of a bowed instrument mm. is going to be arched.
0: Mm. Ah, I see, and I see.
1: And there are some guitars. They're called arch tops. They were specifically developed and designed, sort of, in the early part of the 20th century, to cut through these these uh these band instruments without being amplified. And that's it's a very specific type of guitar setup. You'll notice they don't hold the body right on next to their mm, chest mm. because they want because the back is arched too. So some of the the sound is actually resonating from underneath. So you'll notice Freddie Green will kind of hold his guitar up oh. because he's trying to get the most resonance from the arch top. Wow,
0: wow. Oh, I didn't know that. That's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, sort of interest, interesting. So that those kind of design innovations were actually like steps towards developing the guitar into an instrument that was slowly becoming a melodic instrument or an instrument that could cut through the band through and the, right. eventually lead. Because the
0: guitar... I think replaced the banjo, and I wonder would the banjo cut through oh. things more, or maybe not? I don't know.
1: Well, yeah, the banjo, yeah, the banjo has a pretty powerful twang. Yeah. It's it's a different kind of. Mm. It 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 uses those uh you know you need metal um uh, strings uh picks oh. on each finger oh. and on the strings. Right. It, it's a pretty pretty cutting kind of sound oh, for wow. sure. That would make sense.
0: yeah. That's pretty yeah. cool. That's pretty cool. Actually, yeah. there's a, an interesting story <laughs> where. Um, so there's this famous 1938 Carnegie Hall concert with Benny Goodman, and oh, and yeah. I think he brought a couple of the Basie members in, including Freddie Green, and they played. I think it was honeysuckle rose. So It wasn't one o'clock jump. But it was honeysuckle rose, and th- there's a moment I think where Goodman went to Green. You do a solo now, which <laughs> which apparently was a oh. kind of like a, <laughs> a you you were it was known that you. Like Green doesn't do, you know, he he rarely takes a solo, but that was that's a, a very rare instance where you you can find Green playing a solo in that recording from nineteen thirty eight uh, Carnegie Hall concert.
1: That's cool. That's cool. I've got to check that out. I don't think which I've ever is listened a very
0: historic concert. I don't know if anybody, if people know that, that did you know that that, mm. that was a, a big deal of, at the time? Uh oh. oh yeah, I mean it was it was the first time I think basically it, it was like integrated bands, like you know we we had mixed oh, people yeah, of course. in Carnegie Hall, the first time that jazz was in a place like that. So I think it was a uh, historic.
1: Wow, that was 1939. Uh,
0: 38. 38. 38. That's, that, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. So that was the first time yeah. you you would have seen, let's say maybe in a venue like that an integrated or like a black and white, you know, black and white musicians playing together.
1: That's amazing to think that that was, that wasn't even that long ago. That wasn't even a hundred
0: years 100, 100, ago. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so talking about the rhythm, so go back to the rhythm section. Um, in that book, The Swing Era by, what's his name? Gunther Schuller on page 227. There's a quote. <laughs> 227 There's a quote, 227. <laughs> 227 a quote if, if someone wants to look that up. Uh, but he basically makes the point that this rhythm section were a cohesive ensemble. So I'm paraphrasing, were a cohesive ensemble I'll bet with four equal partners, so they're all mm. kind of doing their thing, but they came together as so that the sum was greater. That sorry, the sum was greater than the whole. The whole was greater than the sum, in some sense. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's that's the way I view dance, in mm. a very similar fashion. It's it's two people dancing together. So you got you got to have some basic foundations to dance together. Like green being the foundation, Jones on top. Page below B C, pushing them along mm. with his kind of like his life touch, and it's the same with dancing. We have we have some foundational bricks on which we dance. We've got leaders and followers. So we have some basic rules that we got to follow. Like music, you got to keep time. You got to be on the same beat, etc. Um, but at the same time, we're two equal partners, and we have both have something to say within that structure. Um, so I thought that was interesting as a uh, comparison with the rhythm section, you know, so that, that juxtaposition of oh, yeah, a cohesive whole at the same time remaining two individuals. And th- this is the way I really feel about Lindy Hop in particular or swing dancing in general, like Balboa or Shag, um, you know, to a lesser, de- to a, to a certain degree, those dances as well. Hmm. Tell me about Balboa. Balboa. Balboa is a dance that was developed in Balboa, California. <laughs> oh, OK. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, and uh, just a, a very short history. So it's, it's danced to kind of... The, so on the West Coast, they would have got more like Benny Goodman, Artie Shaw, those kind of uh, players. So m- music moved from like New York, Chicago, Kansas City, West. And it was g- generally people like Benny Goodman brought it over. So they would have heard more his sound. Uh, And so it developed more in the thirties, as far as I I know. And it's danced very close. So you're you're dancing, like touching your partner chest to chest a lot, or there's sometimes you break away, but a lot of it's chest to chest. The foot, when the footwork is smaller, it's, it's a little bit more uh, neater, compact. It can be, not necessarily so. Uh, And the reason why it's so close was, I think there was some sort of rules in the ballrooms in California at the time because they were so packed that you were not allowed to break away from your partner which is which is kind of where Lindy Hop comes around so you you would break away meaning that you weren't in closed touching position next to each other but you could break away and just be holding hands so that I think that's where Balboa that's very my very limited understanding of the history of it crowded dance clubs forced 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 and so like if you started breaking away they would have chucked (laughs) you out because you would be bumping into people uh but there's a Mm -hmm. there's a thing called pure ball and ball swing so pure ball basically just means that you're stuck together more or less at the chest and you you can do certain figures and shapes and then ball swing is is kind of like kind of i'm going to say like lindy hop Bobo dance is like that's not like lindy hop at all (laughs) <laughs> where you, <laughs> it's called Bal Sing. I've done. I've done both. Um, I teach Lindy Hop and Charleston. I don't teach Balboa, but I, I've done quite a bit of Balboa. Um, where you you break away from your partner, so it's kind of like a swing out. You break away, so it's kind of like a. Hmm. It's called a come around and a toss out. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> kind of odd names, but I mean, uh, <laughs> so where you do break away from your partner, uh, it's kind of in some sense kind of like the Balboa swing out
1: and and the swag, what's the
0: swag? Uh, so there's Balboa, there's Lindy Hop, uh, Shag. The Shag. The shag, <laughs> Not the swag. I don't know much about Shag, but <laughs> I know shag. it's it's another type of, uh, it's a, it's, I think it comes from older dances. So it kind of comes from pre-Charleston, oh, okay. Charleston era dances that grew out of that, even maybe older, like oh, okay. like the animal dances. Like, the, like um, there's the, what's it called, the turkey trot. The chicken. chicken oh i don't know there's a i don't know there's anim- a crazy chicken i think there's a there's a, a bear dance the bear really? or something with the bear yeah there, there's various ch- uh, like they're called animal dances again i don't know much about them but shag it's a, a certain type of dance that generally danced to swing music but uh yeah so i think that rhythms like the rhythm section really informs i think the dancing and kind of connects with the dancers yeah Here is the rhythm section, so we just talked about the rhythm, here's the rhythm section.
1: You know what that makes me think of, Tom? That makes me think of the New Orleans Jazz Vipers. At the beginning of the New Orleans Jazz Vipers, the bass player takes the piano part, which is really interesting. Oh, yeah, let's play that. have to play into it too deep but you hear how the bass took that piano uh
0: just right at the staff there and then he goes into walking yeah yeah, yeah
1: then he goes into the wall i thought that was really cool that's that nice. he takes up the piano bit that's cool and it shows how the development i mean this is a much more recent mm. this is a modern recording of the piece right but mm. it shows the development of the bass into a completely different type of oh, instrument that takes yeah, up melody yeah, lines Yeah, yeah. yeah can yeah. take a piano part right yeah that's really cool uh, uh,
0: that guitar at the start is awesome it's kind of has a gypsy jazz freddie green vibe to it yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. very danceable that feels like I'm, i kind of want to move to it you know
1: yeah and that's uh that's an archtop guitar sound also ah. they're playing you know they're playing a modern archtop guitar that that's exactly the kind of sound you get there now we talked about this a little bit before we were recording but I love the start of this that version of this piece, mm. and you know, and I just wanted to play it real quick because uh, it matches up to the riff at the beginning of the bassy. Um, but that recording drives me a little bit crazy as it <laughs> progresses because, yeah, <laughs> because hey, w- did you listen to that one by the way? Tom? I
0: I listened briefly last night. Uh, I remember something odd with the brass, maybe something like that.
1: Yeah. So what happens is. It's the guitar. The guitar is great at the beginning, mm. but it seems to be miked up a little too high. So you're hearing the tenor voices mm. throughout the whole piece, and the tenor voices don't move along the melody lines. They're in mm. the backup stability, right? Mm. Mm. So the balance feels off to me ah, in this recording. Okay, 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 okay. It seems like the guitar is perfect at the start, and then it's kind of blocking out you know, the brass and the saxophones.
0: kind of want that you want that that guitar supporting you from be, the foundational aspect you want to you want to be below supporting the band and having the, the brass above it yeah
1: yeah, that was my feeling mm-hmm. at, you know I, and I, I sort of disappointed me because all the musicians are great i think the yeah. balance got a little off on the recording yeah yeah
0: it's a good recording at the start yeah it's a really good <laughs>
1: yeah but also the all the musicians are really great
0: yeah but uh yeah cool. So do you want to walk through the piece? Maybe you, you have some kind of interesting theory points you want to bring up.
1: You know, I I just have a couple small points to bring up about this piece. The 1937 mm. version of the piece that mm. is so well known, it's I it's it's really interesting to me because it's in D flat major, uh mm-hmm. but it starts out in F major. Okay. Uh, you know, it starts out in F major mm-hmm. and you know, F major's relationship to D flat major mm-hmm. is that it's the third. So if we're going, mm-hmm. you know, this is our D flat. Mm. You know, Do, Re, Mi. Mm-hmm. That's our F.
0: Oh, I see. I see. The third. Yeah. Gotcha.
1: Yeah. So we're in the key signature of the third. Mm. And then as soon as uh, Herschel Evans, the the saxophone solo comes in, mm-hmm. Basie has modulated to D-flat oh, okay. and we're suddenly in the key of D-flat so oh, that's just okay. an interesting construction hmm. Hmm. Uh, it's a little bit unusual because we're not starting in the key that we're going to and there's a stay the the so it
0: starts in uh, F and then it goes to D-flat and then it just stay yes. in D-flat for the rest of the song
1: yeah it's clearly in D-flat the rest of the song is in D-flat uh, he doesn't ever return and, and really to texturally
0: death. or or what what does that do to the song? Like, th- 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 what kind of flavor it, does that give to the song? It's surprising. It's right. interesting. Okay. You know,
1: you don't expect it because bassy starts out in F, and you're thinking this is he's doing this whole solo at the beginning in F. The rhythm section, mm. everything's in F, and then suddenly you realize, oh, that's actually the third of D flat, and we're not in this key right. at all. Okay, you know, mm. and then and it does. It's not really that well established either because. Basie's got a solo at the beginning and then you just slip into another solo, but then it's in in this new key mm. and then there's another solo mm, and then mm, there's another mm, solo, mm. right? So it takes a while to really realize that we're going to stay in this key and this is the key of the yeah, piece. Yeah, because
0: the, the overall, um, if we just go through it very quick, like it goes bassie solo to start with, yeah. with a bit of melody and then it goes, as you said, Hersch solo, then George Hunt solo then Lester Young solo mm. then Buck Clayton solo then Walter Page solo and then the three clips we just played earlier with all the riffs and I think yeah, in each of yeah, those yeah. solos it has a supporting riff underneath it which is kind of cool it's it's yeah. all about the riffs in this one isn't it
1: the harmony overall it's pretty simple kind of okay. uh, harmonic the, har- the harmonic sort of mm. progressions are not complicated they're really similar to the blues actually and that's what i found interesting you know we had talked a while back when we were looking at Monin. we we talked about the play between major and minor that's often found in in blues Mm, mm, and mm. this is definitely in d flat major but you know some of the riffs you know bring it bring this major minor kind of play and and this is one Mm. of the examples we have um So it's just passing there. It's saying, we're not going to stop on the minor third. We're not really in that minor key. We're do, re, mi, yeah, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. Mm. Gotcha. So it's kind of
0: interesting mm. that... So we, we just kind of go in there for a little bit and then come back out again.
1: Yeah, and there are a lot mm. of the riffs in the piece. The same, same thing with the trombone sli- sliding around. Mm. You, you know, you almost think, what are we doing down here? Actually, that's not a good example. Mm. Forget that example, because that's okay, totally okay, in okay. major. That's not in minor at all. <laughs> that is not in, but the other one is totally. In, there are yeah. a couple moments yeah. where the riffs are really hinting at minor. Um, oh. So that's kind of interesting. Hmm. It's, it's showing the influence hmm. of blues. I when I listen to this piece, I think of it as dance. Which you,
0: you, you could say that about a lot of bassy stuff because he was very influenced by the blues in Kansas City. Like blues is like a huge influence on swing jazz. Especially with basic, I mean, it was all coming from that Kansas City, which, which, because if you look at, even if you look at the form, it's it's called a blues form. So it's, I would call it a blues form. And what that means in my mind is that, you know, I just look at the basic uh, phrase structure, which is 12 Bar Blues. So I think what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to, you know, chill out here. And we're going to come back next week. And we're going to, we're going to burst into... The history, more the history of the song, a little bit. Talk a little bit more of the history, and we're gonna we're gonna explore some riferific versions <laughs> of the song.
1: Tom's new favorite word, riferific. I love it. <laughs> I, yeah, I think I think that's the plan. <laughs> Yeah, uh, we did a lot of research this week, and we figured this is uh, this this will make a good two parter there's a lot yeah. of information. This is a this is a big piece. It's got a lot of history, a lot of yep. soloists that we'd love to talk about and you know yep. really look into. Mm-hmm. Um, Tom, where can uh, our listeners find us? Our dozens of listeners. Our dozens
0: and dozens of listeners can find us on Facebook on uh, Music Fools Crack the Beast, or they can email us at Jacob and Tom's podcast at com. All information will be in the show notes. Tom, what's a riff chorus? I don't chorus? know what's a riff chorus. It's a chorus that's full of riffs. <laughs> a cor- yeah, exactly. A chorus. So it was a thing. Back in
1: the swing era, you know, all, all mm. these pieces, right? They always end with yeah. these big choruses where you have all these riffs, you know? In mm. the Goodman band, they do that. And a lot of these pieces, mm. they do it. But-
0: like what we heard earlier where we had three riffs going at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> we're going to <laughs> we're gonna play you out with uh, Oscar Peterson's one o'clock jump riff chorus. and on that nose